the Woodside Church podcast. Believe it or not, it's a year since uh, we retired, or I retired from staff. And uh, this is the first time since then that I have preached at Woodside one whole year. Somebody said to me, I will keep keep him nameless, um, that, oh, you'll be all right. It's just like getting back on a bike. (laughs) And uh, so uh, that was uh, one comment. Um, An uncle of mine, uh, who is 91 now and has been a church leader all of his life until he retired, and then he carried on in ministry in all sorts of ways, uh, rang me because it was my birthday recently, always rings a few days afterwards, and he said, you must be nervous. You know, so you've got these two things. Um, But God's word is God's word. And in the worship today, I kept hearing aspects of the message that I have got being proclaimed and uh, ministered to us through prophetic word, through exhortation, through reading, and even through uh, Elisha when he just introduced the whole service to us. And I just think, God, you are always with us and your word is true. And your word is like a two-edged sword. uh, And when we ever share God's word, whether it be someone who is Uh, a child or someone who's as old as I am, um, it's a two-edged sword. It's word and spirit that penetrates deep within. And Father God, may today your word continue, because it's already begun, continue to do just that for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the other reason I'm uh, preaching today is because uh, nobody else wanted to do this one. Um, It's the peculiar case of Saul and the medium of Endor. Now, if you didn't hear Candy last week, please hear the download. It was brilliant. And she actually preached on David becoming king and the kingdom of God uh, and brought us wonderful lessons, important lessons uh, from that story We're going back in time today. So today uh, we're looking at 1 Samuel 28, and I'm going to get straight on just by reading first of all for us uh, in the uh, New Living Translation, um, the chapter itself, because without hearing the story, we won't understand what is going to follow. About that time, the Philistines... Sorry, I'm starting in verse verse 3. That was verse 1. Meanwhile, Samuel had died. Now, the first few verses are really important to this story. So the first important thing to know is Samuel, the prophet of God who'd been serving Israel as God's mouthpiece and God's representative for decades, had died. And all Israel had mourned for him. He was buried at Ramah, his hometown, And Saul, this is the next important thing, Saul, who was king, had banned from the land of Israel all mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. That was also a good thing. Now, these two things are fundamental to the story. The Philistines set up their camp, they're the enemies, at Shunem, and Saul gathered all the army of Israel and camped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. 
That's the other really important thing to understand in this story. Samuel's died. Saul has uh, banned uh, spiritism, if you like, people who uh, were used to contact the dead uh, through uh, dark means. And then also the Philistines were coming to attack Israel on a large scale. He asked the Lord what he should do. Now, this is the next bit shocking, but the Lord refused to answer him, either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. Saul then said to his advisors, and this is shocking, find a woman who is a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. His advisors replied, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal robes. Then he went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. I have to talk to a man who has died, he said. Will you call his spirit up for me? Are you trying to get me killed, the woman demanded. You know that Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult the spirits of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? But Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord and promised, as surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Finally, the woman said, well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, Saul said. Uh, replied. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, you've deceived me. You are Saul. Don't be afraid. The king said to her, what do you see? I see a God coming up out of the earth, she said. What does he look like? Saul asked. He's an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. Saul realized it was Samuel. And he fell to the ground before him. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back, Samuel asked Saul. Because I'm in deep trouble, Saul replied. The Philistines are at war with me and God has left me. What a statement. God has left me, is what Saul says. And won't reply by prophets or dreams. So I have called for you to tell me what to do. But Samuel replied, why ask me, since the Lord has left you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival, David. The Lord has done this to you today because you refused to carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites. What's more, the Lord will hand you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow. And you and your sons will be here with me. What's he saying there? You're going to go to battle. The Philistines are going to beat you and you are going to die along with your sons. The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. Saul fell full length on the ground paralyzed with fright because of Samuel's word. He was also faint with hunger, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. When the woman saw how distraught he was, she said, Sir, 
I obeyed your command at the risk of my life. Now do what I say and let me give you a little something to eat so you can regain your strength for the trip back. But Saul refused to eat anything. Then his advisors joined the woman in urging him to eat. So he finally yielded and got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had been fattening a calf, so she hurried out and killed it. She took some flour, kneaded it with, into dough, and baked unleavened bread. She brought the meal to Saul and his advisers, and they ate it. And then they went into the night. Well, it's a strange story, isn't it? But actually, for us, it's packed with instruction and with meaning. And I'm going to explain why. And one of the things I'm going to do, uh, by the way, if you carry on reading 1 Samuel, you get to two chapters on, 1 Samuel 31, exactly that happened. The battle was fast, furious, and it particularly got furious around Saul and his sons where they were positioned in the Israelite army. Saul was wounded badly, and as a result of that, he then took his own life, as we read then in 2 Samuel with the help of a foreigner. His sons died as well, and the Philistines gloried over their victory in Israel's defeat. Now, as I share, and they're not all going to be on the, uh, uh, on the screen, because some of these I've just thought about since even submitting my notes for PowerPoint, is seven principles of Bible understanding, especially when it comes to stories, and especially stories in the Old Testament. Because we mustn't be confused, and sometimes we can be, when we read stories like this and think, well, what's right, what's wrong, what should have been done, how do I understand this? There are other stories like this too. And the first principle of Bible understanding especially with the stories, is this. When a story is difficult in the Bible to understand, interpret the unusual or obscure in the light of what is clear. And what is very clear about this story is that what Saul did was wrong. Not everything we read in the Bible are for us to follow. Some of those things that we read in the Bible are warning for us, warnings for us, so that we don't follow them. And this is one of them. And so, for example, uh, in Leviticus 20, uh, it's very clear. God says, don't do those, the sort of things that Saul had just done. Deuteronomy 18 would be the same, 19 to 14. In fact, here it said that um, uh, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, it says, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. Uh, don't practice fortune, uh, fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits from the dead. Anyone who 
who does these things is detestable to the Lord. The other nations do this, and then he goes on to the uh, the last verse, uh, verse 14 there, the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. It's pretty clear, isn't it? And that's written before this story. And then what is also clear, Isaiah prophesies in uh, chapter 8, and he says the reason why God has said this. And he says, someone may say to you, Isaiah 8, 19, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they'll tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. It's clear. And so we interpret what we read in the light of what's clear. And then clearly there are dangers of spiritism, real forces chasing after demons, unable to control what might happen, uh, bringing spiritual darkness into people's lives. And when God prohibits an activity, it is for our good. And what Saul did was clearly wrong, and it made things worse for Saul, not better. His fear was great before he went to the medium. Now he was paralyzed with fear and lost all hope. Now, does that mean that there's no hope for people today who've been involved in such activity? And here's the next thing to understand when we read the scripture, when we read our Bibles. Remember this. When a story in the Old Testament is difficult to understand, interpret the unusual or the obscure in the light of the New Testament. And here's a bit in the New Testament, Acts 19, and a story of what happened in the early days of the Ephesian church. And it says here, verse 18 of Acts 19, many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who'd been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books, this is in an American translation here, was several million dollars, a lot of money. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had powerful effect. Now these Christian believers who were enjoying the grace and the mercy and the goodness and the forgiveness of God, some of them had previously been involved in the same practices that we read about right from the early times, like the uh, medium of Endor that we've been reading about here. But when they came to Christ, they received his forgiveness and the transformation of their hearts, so much so that they realized that their previous practices were wrong, and they burned the very books they used to guide them in their dark practices. Such were some of you. You see, when we read through the New Testament, we don't think, oh no, I, I did a Norwegian bull once when I was a teenager. Or I, I, did a, I went to a fortune teller once, or I read a book about witchcraft once, or whatever else. There is always in Christ glorious hope of forgiveness and new life. If anyone is in Christ, the 
old has passed away and the new has come. You're a new creation. And that's exactly what these Ephesian believers here uh, were experiencing. They received God's forgiveness. Now, this is important. They'd repented of their sin. But also in burning those books, they renounced their previous practices and were determined now to follow Jesus Christ. And the word of God spread widely as a result. Now, over the years, as a pastor, I have found not a small number of people that have had trouble in life, and then as they have talked, the question arises, have you ever been involved in the occult or this kind of practice? And quite often, they would say, well, yes. And the privilege then of leading people through receiving forgiveness, repentance, but also renouncing their practices of the past and finding true freedom in Christ and the end of the affliction that they had been experienced, which was the reason they had come for prayer. And it's quite remarkable to see how Jesus sets people free. You see, we interpret what we read in the old in the light of the new. And we see in the light of the new, whatever our life was like, even whatever practices have crept in still because we haven't dealt with them in our current Christian life, Jesus is our saviour. And he is able to set us free as we receive his forgiveness, repent of our sin, renounce that which we used to do, and now live for him. Okay, is that all right? So it's sort of clear there. Now let's keep uh, moving on because, um, oh, I would like to recommend, if you want lots and lots of detail about this kind of thing, David Devonish, David's preaching the same message over in Woodside today, by the way. I say the same message. I haven't seen his notes. He hasn't seen mine. He'll probably have quite a different tack. Worth hearing him as well. But this book, Demolishing Strongholds, highly recommend. It's been around for a long time. It's well regarded. And uh, one of our own, uh, you know, pastors, one of our own elders in the church, uh, and I, I just recommend that. Now, here's the next principle. I'm just remembering Ensign said half an hour. Uh, sorry? Oh, he's giving me more now. <laughs> Generous man. Okay. Are we, are we okay? Are you with me? Okay. Learn from the mistakes a Bible character makes. Now, I sort of inferred this earlier on. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it says, these things were written for us. Let's talk about the mistakes of the, the children of Israel in the wilderness. These things were written for us, for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. You see, there's so much value in every part of God's word. And here we're learning from Saul's mistake. And one of the things that, that we, we can learn from is the shock we feel when leaders fall into sin. Saul had instigated a ban on this practice of contacting the dead, of spiritism, of, of the occult, and all that kind of thing. He put a ban on it. Uh, incidentally, the kind of thing that is often uh, a part of some of the religions some of you uh, actually held before you were Christians as well, shamanism, 
and all kinds of things uh, that, that happen. Saul had put a ban on those things. You think, well, how can this possibly happen? How could he have fallen so far? And the reason is Saul went back on a previously held conviction. And sadly, when you hear the news of a well-known high-profile Christian who falls due to sin, due to some misconduct, then it's because they've gone back on a previously held conviction. It doesn't mean that what they preached when they preached the gospel, when they healed the sick, when, when all sorts of things happened, that was, that was, oh, well, that's all invalid now. No, sadly, they've gone back on what they previously had as a conviction. And it suited Saul to do so. Temptation, when it suits you, can be very strong indeed. He went by night. He only took two trusted people with him. He went in disguise. He tried to cover up who he was. He was going secretly. He involved someone else in his sin, putting her at risk too. He uh, was driven by a strong, misplaced emotion. In this case, it was fear. In other cases, when people fall, when leaders fall, it could be greed, lust, anger, and other things. He was knowingly unfaithful to God and his word. That is why God had left him. That's why he wasn't hearing from God anymore. It wasn't the first time he'd done that. He'd been doing that, as we know from our series, consecutively over a long period of time. And in today's church, we can feel the shock when a leader falls morally due to, uh, for example, adultery, unfaithfulness, greed for money, abuse, dishonesty, controlling behavior, overbearing leadership, and the like. And every time this happens, it's sad because it brings dishonor to God's name and to God's people. It undermines the reputation of the church. And it's a warning to all of us, however, because none of us are immune from falling to temptation. And so 1 Peter 5 says, stay alert. Keep watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. In 1 Corinthians 10 we read, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different to what others experience. And God is faithful. And this is the promise, and this is where the hope is. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who forgive us. That's why the scripture teaches us to be accountable to one another. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed and so forth. These things are there for our protection and for our blessing. And it's so important. Now, another thing when you're reading the Bible is consider the character's relationship with God. And this was Saul's. He had no personal relationship with God at all. Now, he seemed to 
on the surface. Some of the stories were written. You think, well, didn't he go to worship? Didn't he go to do sacrifices? And didn't he talk about the Lord? Even to the medium of Endor, he swore by the Lord's name that no harm would come to her. I mean, where does this go on? See, he, he was relying on someone else. He was relying on Samuel to hear from God, to get guidance, to keep him close to God. And he floundered when Samuel had gone. He had never put his own roots down deep into God for himself. And there's a lesson for all of us. Don't rely on your uh, favorite leader or your favorite Christian or anybody else or your favorite Christian book to keep you going. You need your own roots deep into God for yourself. That's so important. And Saul didn't do that. Your own relationship with him is so important. He didn't love God from his heart. What is Saul didn't do that we can do? He didn't love God uh, from his heart. Unlike David, who was a man who wasn't perfect by any means, but he had a heart after God's own heart, and he loved God. You read some of his Psalms, you'll see how much David loved God. And he only wanted God for his own benefit. Saul only wanted God to get him out of troubles, to make him successful, so that he would be honored in the eyes of others, so that he would be popular in the eyes of others in the nation, and for his own prosperity. Those are the only reasons he wanted God. He only did what suited him rather than what God required. He wasn't interested in loving God from his heart and therefore obeying him as a consequence. Some Christians, sadly, can be like this. They look fine at first glance in church and so forth, but then you discover their whole motivation when it gets to uh, their relationship with God is about what they get from God. So they take communion because they hope think bad things don't happen. They pray to God because, or ask for prayer because they want a good job. They want money, provision. They want their children to have a good education, find a good partner for life and so forth. Uh, they buy a new car and so they want God's blessing on the car so that they don't have a crash and they're protected when they're driving it. It actually depends on how good a driver you are, not <laughs> but, uh, and things like this. But it's all like that. Want a promotion. We don't relate to God like that, and that's where the prophetic words and the exhortations in our worship came. Saul never loved God just for who he is. We love because he first loved us. And we love him with all of our hearts because he's beautiful, because he's glorious, because he's wonderful, because he is love. And when we start to realize that, everything changes in our relationship with him. That's what we're meant to do, and that's what Saul never did do. When uh, Catherine and I have been married for years, uh, quite a few decades, a long time, do you imagine if I could turn up one day and just say, I'm glad I married you for your dinners that you cook, or for the nice flowers that you do in the garden, or you keep the house tidy. You know, write that in a card, give that to Catherine. I mean, it doesn't work, does it? 
I love her because of her, because of who she is uniquely for me. And, and the many attributes and the many beauties and the many things that attracted to me first and continue to do so today even more so. And again and again and again and again in the Bible, the uh, picture of God being the groom and us being the bride, his people, goes, I am my beloved's and he is mine. He is the fairest of 10,000. Even in the book of Revelation, it's the spirit and the bride that say, come Lord Jesus. There's a marriage feast that's about to happen in that book that will happen for all of us and we'll be a part of that as the bride of Christ. It's to do with the love story of God and his people and his people and God and he is so glorious and we are captivated by him. And that is what salvation is all about. And when we're in that relationship, and Joseph, uh, don't worry if we're off script right now because I've, I'm just aware of the time and I think this is uh, important. You see, when Jesus died, he had the same experience of Saul in 1 Samuel 28. Do you remember that one of the things he said on the cross my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was separated at that point from God because he carried the sin of the world, of you and me within his body, so that we never have to be separated from God when we find access to God through him, the way, the truth, and the life and find salvation in him. Isn't that wonderful? So he went through separation, the perfect saviour. Read every story about Jesus, by the way, and that's perfect. The only one of all the characters. The perfect saviour took our sin. Isn't he wonderful? But he was separated at that moment, momentarily, having been a part of the Godhead for the whole of eternity past and, of course, the whole of eternity future. But at that point on the cross, he was separated from God. My, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that we don't have to? So that now in Hebrews 4, we have access at any time to the great high priest, King Jesus, who is full of mercy and grace and ready to help us in our time of need. Jesus who said, I will never fail you nor forsake you, who says at the end of Matthew, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The one who, uh, for whom we understand from Paul's teaching in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So what, Paul, uh, what Saul experienced in 1 Samuel 28, we never have to. Now, it's true that there are times we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and there are truths, it's true that there are times when we can feel more distant from God than we need to, usually of our own doing. But we have access to a merciful throne of grace. If we have sin, we can come to him and confess our sin and find forgiveness, and the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin, and we continue to have sweet lovely, loving fellowship with him forever. That is the gospel. 
That is the good news. And if you've never experienced that, then my appeal to you is come into his arms. Give your life to him. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to heal. He's ready to wipe your slate clean from the past and to enter in and to be with you always. Now, this is the good news. Because Jesus said something to the disciples that shocked them and made them grieve. And you can read about this in John 14, 15, and 16. And again, it's about what they thought was going to be separation from Jesus. Because he said, I'm going to be leaving you soon. And it says they were grieved to the heart. And then Jesus said this. He said, it is to your advantage that I am leaving you. What? I mean, Jesus, uh, if you think of what Jesus actually did, and uh, uh, I don't know where I'm going here. I'm just trying to find, uh, yes, what Jesus actually did. They were used to him being with them, teaching and explaining things to them, leading and guiding them into all truth. They were used to him protecting them from the storm and other things, giving them courage, comfort, strength and faith, enabling them also to move in the supernatural power of God, helping them to pray and much more besides. And now Jesus is saying, I'm now going to leave you. No wonder they were grieved. But then he says, it's to your advantage, if you can find it, uh, Joseph, it's uh, uh, John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do go away, the helper, Greek word, parakletos, I'll explain that in a moment, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now that word parakletos is uh, literally... One who is called to come alongside to one's aid. And Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit. Now, in the same way that Jesus did all those things, you know, how can I manage without him? The Holy Spirit uh, teaches and explains all things. Jesus said he'd do that. He leads and guides into all truth. Jesus said he would do that. He protects us. He gives us encouragement. He gives us courage. He comforts us. He strengthens us. He gives us faith. He enables us to move in supernatural power of God. He helps us to pray and much more besides. What Jesus was saying to the disciples, I'm leaving. They think, well, God's not going to be with us anymore then. The Son of God, he's not going to be with us. You know, Saul, God has left me. The good news is, Jesus said, actually, it's going to be far better for you. It's to your advantage, because I am sending my spirit. And then he says to them, who you have known him because he has been with you, but he will be in you. And he will be in you forever. He's the guarantee of our inheritance. Now, let me just say this, because I, I want to sort of round things off and help us. And uh, forgive me for not getting through going through everything quite you know, as I, I, would have, I would have needed an hour, frankly, to do everything I had. But this is important. God is with you by his spirit. You never have to fear being like Saul was in 1 Samuel 28. He is your parakletos. He has come alongside you to help you 
Most translations call him the helper, some the advocate. He's come to stand with you, but not just alongside you, but within you to enable you, to strengthen you. He is your Emmanuel. He's God with you. He's God in you. He's God strengthening you. He's God welling up like a river of living water to be a blessing to all those around you. And oh, sometimes we do take him for granted. But let's stir up the spirit again. Let's ask him to fill us afresh. Let's say, I never want to be in a place where there's no word from God, where I'm not hearing God, I'm not feeling close to God. Why has the Holy Spirit come? So that that needn't happen. Why did Jesus die on the cross for you? So that that never needs to happen. And instead, so that you can enjoy the ever-increasing sense of the presence and friendship and love of God on a daily basis at work, in your family, in your home, in your neighborhood, wherever you are in your life, where God takes you. He is with you and he loves you dearly. And he's longing for your heart to be one of deep love and worship, just like Saul wasn't, because we live in the days of a new covenant where our hearts have become hearts of flesh and his spirit has come to live inside. Isn't that wonderful? So I'm going to leave us there. If you want a full, well, I'm not going to be able to do a full uh, uh, amount, but I'm trusting that we're learning something just from this chapter that give us some encouragement, not just for the rest of the day, but stir us for the days and the weeks ahead. Why don't we pray? Should we stand and let's just ask up to... I wonder if you can just put the last slide up, Joseph. Just a few things from... Okay, thanks. Ensign's whispered another thing in my ear. I'll tell you what he said. There's time for ministry if you want. But let's ask God to minister to us. Have a look at what's on on the screen. All these things come out of this story. Hold firm to your biblical convictions. It is possible for Christians to go back on them. Ask God for the mercy and strength not to, and to stay firm. Resist temptation. And where things have crept in again, even now, Allow the Holy Spirit to prompt you and give you the courage to say sorry, to repent, to renounce, and to ask God just to fill you again with his Spirit, giving you the strength to keep living on. God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always there to help us in time of need, whatever we're going through. And however difficult your circumstances are right now, never interpret that as God has left you. Because his New Testament promises he never will. 
you can look to God for guidance and help. You can love God deeply and you can experience the indwelling and filling of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, would you just come now and meet with each of us. Meet with each of us as we just stand before you. Tender Jesus, loving Father, precious Holy Spirit, Lord God, some of us right now, we're just saying, we love you. Just tell him, I love you, Lord. For some of you, just do that. There's going to be different things going on, but just tell him, I love you, Lord. You know, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you, Jesus. It's where we were, where Connie and uh, Alex just brought us. He is so precious, more than any, more beautiful than any other thing. Just adore him. For some, you think, I have just taken for granted the presence of the Spirit. And you're just going to start saying, Lord, fill me with your Spirit again. Fill me afresh again. Just do that if that's you. For some of you, you have been involved in a cult or other practices, uh, and you've never, ever renounced those things. You've never said, I've turned from those things. Even some have mingled it with what you've been doing as a Christian. You know, a bit of this and a bit of that. Well, the lesson from Saul is don't go there. (laughs) The lesson from Scripture is burn the books. The lesson from Scripture is renounce and turn to the living God. You don't need to go anywhere other than God for guidance, and you may just be doing business with God right now. For some of you, the fact that Jesus separated himself, was separated on the cross so that you never have to be, he took your sin into his body on the tree when he died, on the cross when he died. Um, And not only did he say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he also says, it is finished. And at that point, he then gave up his spirit and died. And what was finished? The penalty paid for your sin. And you can now turn to him and find new life in Christ. And then, and for you, then give your life to Christ. Jesus, I'm so sorry for my sin. I give my life to you. I repent. I want to follow you from now on. Come and live inside of me by your spirit. You can pray like that and he will meet you. And today will be your day of salvation. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.